Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM. Hello and good morning. Welcome to another exciting episode of Food Farm Talk. I'm one of your hosts, Emily Duncan, also co-hosted by Abdul Rahim Abdullahi. And this morning, I'm excited to share that we're having our third episode in our mini-series, Talk Dirty to Me, um, from the Soils at Guelph Initiative. And so I'm here today with Cameron Ogilvie just to help open the show. Um, we're really excited because in this episode, Cameron, you're talking to the Ecological Farmers Association of Ontario. And so what kind of prompted you to interview them and have this conversation? Well, I, I've i heard about the uh, Ecological Farmers Association's farmer-led research program that's uh, gained some popularity and was recognized by the provincial ministry, received an award, an Agri-Food Excellence Award this past year. Um, and so they, they were just excellent candidates to be talking about soil health. Awesome. Well, I think we'll just get into it. Um, you went out to the, to a farm to do this interview, correct? Yes. Oh, that's so nice. It's nice to get out of the studio and on location to, to get talking to actual farmers. And I was amazed that the farm animals didn't interrupt us more than they did. So. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, I'll turn it over now to uh, Cameron as the host of Talk Dirty to Me. Thank you again for listening to Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM. Hi, I'm Brent Preston. Hi, I'm Sarah Hargreaves. Hi, I'm Val Steinman. And you're listening to Talk, Talk Dirty, Dirty to Me. me. Good morning, everyone. We're doing something a little bit different today. We are out of the office, and we are on Hartwood Farms. And so I'm visiting today with several folks from the Ecological Farmers Association of Ontario. I'm here with Val Steinman, Brent Preston, and Sarah Hargreaves. Welcome to the three of you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Hi. Good to see you all. Um, maybe we can briefly give an introduction of yourselves to our listeners today, and then we can kind of dive into... Yeah, how, how are you involved in agriculture and, and what do you love about soil? So uh, Val, why don't we start with you? So 15 years ago, I finally convinced my city boy husband that maybe life outside of the city was a good idea worth trying. So we now together run Hartwood Farm and Cidery, 20 minutes northeast of Guelph. We have 42 uh, acres of very diverse farm soil and farm uh, ecosystem and um, a lot of naturalized areas on our farm. We do mostly grazing, managed grazing of livestock. We grow <laughs> fruit and nuts and berries um, and make maple syrup. And we have uh, an on-farm craft alcoholic cidery that we started in the last couple of years. Lots happening. Yeah, and I've seen, them. you can see that as you drive down the laneway. Um, Brent, how about yourself? So my wife, Gillian, and I run The New Farm, which is a certified organic uh, vegetable farm. We grow primarily leafy greens uh, and cucumbers, uh, mostly for restaurant clients. We do, we do package some for retail, but we're a 100% wholesale operation uh, near the village of Creemore, Ontario. Okay, neat. And Sarah? I am the research director for the Ecological Farmers Association of Ontario. 
Uh, we'll talk a bit about more about EFAO later, but EFAO is a nonprofit farm organization, and we support farmers to build resilient ecological farms and grow a strong knowledge-sharing community. And part of our work is around supporting farmers to conduct farmer-led research. So we provide financial and logistical support for farmers to answer their most challenging on-farm questions around soil health or cover crops, disease and pest control, and all the other goodies related to ecological farming. Right. Great. And, and Sarah, you have, a, you have a farm as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I also farm. My husband and I have a 50-acre operation near Elmer, Ontario, and we have um, a diverse um, group of pasture-raised livestock that we rotate around pasture and diverse perennials. Awesome. Awesome. Um, now, Val and Brent, you both have a, uh, a unique story you were kind of telling me earlier on that you haven't always been involved in agriculture. And so... Uh, could you go into that a little bit? Like what what brought you back to the farm or to the farm in the first place, I guess? Sure. Well, I, I grew up in the city in, in Toronto, in suburban Toronto. Um, but I always tell people that I was I was a redneck who was ac- accidentally born in the city. And uh, <laughs> I've always been drawn to to uh, to uh, rural places. And my, my wife grew up on a uh, sheep farm in Vermont. Um and we met working overseas, and we had a had a sort of established career working in international development, and then <laughs> and then uh, lived in the city for quite a long time, and and we just on a whim bought bought a farm and uh, decided to move out of the city. We had we had two kids under the age of two living in a two bedroom apartment, and and we always <laughs> say that makes you do crazy things. So <laughs> so that was fifteen years ago, uh, and we've we've you know. It, it was a struggle to build a, a farm business to, to figure out the business side of farming. Um, but we've, you know, organizations like the Ecological Farmers Association are really, we're really crucial in, in giving us the mentoring and the knowledge and the community to, to make our farm a success. So we're, we're, uh, we've never looked back. We're really happy with the choice. And I, uh, like Brent, came to the farm from the city about 15 years ago. There must have been something in the water in Toronto <laughs> yeah. around that time. Um, but I, I did grow up in a rural community in Waterloo County and spent as much time on family and friends farms. I didn't grow up mm. on a farm, but I loved it. And I took every agriculture course my high school had to offer. Huh. But it never even crossed my mind to be a farmer. Um, at that time, uh, you kind of expected to inherit a farm if you were going to become a farmer, and it was mostly guys that became farmers. Um, and I also did well in school, and so that didn't seem to point in the farmer direction. Hmm. So um, I came to uh, farming kind of cautiously because I understood how complicated and how sophisticated the skills required were to farm. Um, but I just felt Uh, after our three kids were born in Toronto and we enjoyed life in a walkable neighborhood, I felt really drawn to the ideas of permaculture and I felt Mm. really drawn to being in a naturalized environment um, Mm. out of the city. And farming really happened after we got here with the support of organizations like EFAO that gave me confidence to imagine that I could actually begin the journey towards becoming a farmer. Um, and neighbors uh, who supported and encouraged as well. Um, and 
the journey continues to unfold and we're still trying to figure out exactly what this place and what our um, business is becoming, but it's been um, an exciting journey. An ever evolving journey, yes, sounds like. for sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, Sarah, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but do you happen to know off the top of your head how many members there are in the Ecological Farmers Association? Around 500 around the province. Okay, good. That gives us, a, I think, a better picture of kind of the scale. Um, now, on this podcast series, as I'm sure you're kind of aware, we, we love to talk about soil. Um, soil is the foundation of life on land, at least, and, uh, and that it certainly is the foundation of agriculture. Uh, it certainly is the foundation of all the cows and the horses that are behind <laughs> us right now that are enjoying the hay. Um, so could, could the two of you talk about, uh, Val and Brent, talk a bit about, yeah, how did you come to the, to the place of realizing the importance of soil uh, on your farms? I was reflecting earlier that um, I came to a passion for soil a number of years into the journey of farming. Um, perhaps it's not unusual that many of us as farmers focus mostly on what's going on above the soil, whether it's plants or animals that we're growing or raising. That's the part of the farm that we feel the strongest relationship to, at least initially. And for me, I think it, it took quite a number of years of understanding how the whole system works together to become deeply passionate and inspired about how soil is at the foundation hmm. and how my role as a farmer is to work with the animals and the plants on the farm to really be in service to the soil hmm. as a whole co-evolved system. Hmm. And so with the encouragement and, and support of other farmers who are also doing all kinds of interesting stuff uh, to learn more about what it means to manage soil well, that's become um, a really big focus um, for us on our farm. How can we tend the soil while we're doing the other things that look more visible, especially to the people who come to visit the farm? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Brent, how about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it, it's a similar story for, for me. It's been a sort of slow evolution in my understanding of what's going on under the ground and a slow evolution in in me understanding how vitally important that is. Mm. And we we have a few sort of um, veteran members of the Ecological Farmers Association who are real soil evangelists. <laughs> so I would go to conferences and I would hear them, you know, saying the soil is the most important thing and talking about all these like mycorrhizal fungi and all this kind of stuff and for a, a number of years it kind of just went over my head huh. and then and then th seeing what was happening on our farm and seeing how different um, ways of managing our soil produce different results on the farm hmm. it, and I think also with the evolving science um, the new information that's coming out on about soil life and um, the soil microbiota um, uh, I think a few years ago, it finally got to the point where I realized we have to completely change the way we think about farming based on this knowledge and understanding of what's going on underneath the ground. So it's hmm. it's absolutely hmm. at the center of our farming system is thinking about soil health. Sarah, maybe from an Ecological Farmers Association perspective, what's what's soil to EFAO? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I love those answers. <laughs> um, you know, it's certainly 
It's certainly at the foundation of what we do and what our members are striving to do is to improve soil health. Hmm. Um, hmm. I don't think we have a single member who wouldn't rank that very highly as, as their priority on the farm. Right. Um, and ecological farmers, um, the organization has been around for 40 years. This is our 40th anniversary. And these are the original soil health champions, mm. ecological mm. farmers are. They were doing cover crops decades ago. They were, you know, smelling the soil and caring about the soil, composting and, mm. and, and um, you know, really contributing to our understanding of how soil produces healthy crops and caring mm. for our soil is a big part of mm. a sustainable agriculture. Yep. Um, one of the unique things about the ecological farmers is that you have a farmer-led research program, and and you just recently received an award from the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, uh, Food and Rural Affairs for this. Uh, do you want to talk about that award and and maybe some of the history of the research program? Uh, it has some roots, I understand, in in uh, Iowa, and how that all come to be. Yeah, we were very honored to receive the first Agra Innovation Award from the minister um, for the farmer-led research program and all of the fabulous innovative work that the farmer researchers have been doing over the past four years. So in 2016, EFAO launched the farmer-led research program, and it's really unique um, in Canada and in Ontario. And it has um, just the singular goal at this point of supporting farmers to answer their questions on their farms um, mm-hmm. using um, using their equipment and doing this in a way that um, is really, um, yeah, f- focusing in on, on their problems and, and uh, solutions that they need to be better ecological farmers. And they're accessible ones. Very accessible. We write the research reports and the protocols as accessibly mm. as possible. Yeah. Um, and they're posted on our research library, which is online at efao.ca slash research library. And the the inspiration for the farmer-led research program came from Practical Farmers of Iowa's Cooperators Program. Mm. Um, the EFAO was well aware of the Cooperators Program. I happened to be in Iowa for 10 years and be involved in PFI and seen firsthand this amazing program and these amazing farmer researchers really sharing their results and making transformative change on the landscape in Iowa, hmm. especially in relation to cover crop use. Um, and when I moved back to Ontario, got in touch with EFAO, this is what they wanted to be doing. This is the next step for the organization and we were able to launch the program. And, and we're really lucky to have PFI as mentors. Hmm. So they have uh, they are still mentoring our program. We've um, cross-fostered, cross-pollinated, we like to say. Some <laughs> of their farmer researchers have come up to our conference. We have sent right. farmer researchers down and, and really learned from each other the process of the, the best way to support farmers to do this important work, this research um, for their farms. Yes. And and Val and Brent, you both are part of the uh, farmer-led research program, yeah? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, how are you involved in the research program? So we're now in the second year of a, of a research trial that we've conducted on our farm. So uh, when, you're, when um, Sarah was talking earlier about the, the issue of tillage in organic production, that was the, that was the big problem that we had on our farm. We grow leafy greens. They're short rotations. They need a really clean um, seed bed. So we were doing a lot of tillage. And we could see over the years the damaging effect that was having on our on our soil structure and our soil health. So we uh, figured out a, a research 
project to see if we could reduce the amount of tillage we do. Hmm. So we, we worked with Sarah. She helped us design the, uh, the research. And we um, experimented with using uh, tarps, with silage tarp, to kill salad stubble in between rotations uh, to try to, to eliminate tillage. So we, we did that last year, and then this year we expanded the trial. The, the trial's now happening on several different EFAO farms. Hmm. And we are, on our farm, trialing different types of material to use for, for our tarping. So we're, we're comparing um, silage tarp with landscape fabric. Uh, and the results have been, Sarah helps write up the results and make it, you know, do these beautiful graphs yeah, and, and, yeah. uh, it's, we, we've, we think we figured out a, a method that's going to reduce our overall tillage on the farm by about 80%. Wow. So wow. it's been really, really, uh, impactful just in the two years on our farm. And we're, we're planning on next year switching over to all tarping instead of using tillage between salad rotations. Huh? So huge shift for you yep huge learning experience um maybe if we go back to uh kind of this this tarping system that you're working with could you kind of describe like over the course of the season uh how does this all work out when do you when do you plant your lettuce and how yeah. many crops do you get out of that and when so do you tarp? we're so with our our a lot of the greens that we're growing are three to four weeks from planting to harvest so we'll we'll uh come out of a cover crop in the spring a winter cover crop we'll till that in uh, and then we'll plant our first uh, succession of salad greens. Um, you know, three or four weeks later, we harvest it. And in the past, we would till that stubble that was left over and then wait a week or two for it to break down, till it a second time, and then replant. Hmm. And often we'll do three or four uh, successions in the same piece of ground over the course of a season. So we are, we are at times tilling the same piece of land 10 times during a season, which is just totally, completely unsustainable. Huh. It, you know, it was allowed under the organic regulations, but it's not what we want to be doing. Um, Did you see, uh, w could you see things in your soil that yeah. you were going, oh man, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, would, it would dry out a lot faster. Um, it would be, it was really prone to wind erosion. Hmm. So unless we are really careful about having a, a good established cover crop in there in the winter, we'd see, we'd see dirt in the snow. Hmm. Um, hmm. We, uh, we do very, very shallow tillage to try to reduce how much we're, we're disturbing the soil deeper yeah. down, but that top layer was just turning into powder. Hmm. So, uh, with the, with the tarping system, we harvest the greens and then we don't do anything to the stubble. We just cover it up with a piece of silage tarp or landscape fabric. And in midsummer, when it's hot in two weeks, that stubble is almost completely gone when hmm. you take the tarp up. And so we would just tine weed the, the, uh, that bed very very gently just to loosen up the very top layer to get it to so our seed would be buried yep. and then uh and then plant without any tillage and we we found huge benefits in weed control so very very few weeds in the in the subsequent plantings uh and we actually found much faster growth for our salad greens so a totally unexpected outcome um we you know we're we're looking for long-term improvement in soil health yeah but what we found is really short-term improvement in the rate of growth of our greens and and huh. way less weeding so it was, it was a big win for us and and so faster growth um, did that end up meaning that you got more crops in, in the year or did it mean that you got more uh, yield each we, time? We got, w anecdotally, we think we got more yield, but okay. it's just faster growth is always good. It, you know, we, we can move through the garden faster, get more rotations, and then also 
the the plants tend the 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 salad greens tend to outcompete the weeds when they're growing faster. Right. Right. So okay. there were fewer weeds germinating in the ground, and also they were they were uh, getting outcompeted by our our greens. So our our weeding labor was was cut very significantly. Hmm. Huge. Yeah. Val, how about for yourself? How are you involved? We're working with a perennial system. So our particular field trial was looking at taking an area on our farm that had been pastured. I've been doing managed grazing on this particular field for 10 to 12 years. And we now wanted to establish um, an integrated uh, orchard system. Hmm. And so we decided that we wanted to um, experiment with biochar, which is um, sort of a, a, a novel um, amendment to soil in this part of the world, but it's an ancient practice apparently. And and there were some other farmers in our area who were producing biochar and interested in having other farmers try it. So we established um, young trees into an existing pasture, and Sarah helped us design a simple uh, randomized trial to compare trees that were established with biochar and an organic nutrient amendment and trees that were established without biochar and just the organic nutrient amendment. And after year one, we didn't see any difference in okay. how those trees were doing. But I think that's in part um, because we, we have limited tools to use to be able to actually discern what's going on biologically in the soil. Right. And I think... Um, in perennial systems, changes happen more slowly. Mm. And so um, it'll be interesting to see what this year's data, when Sarah does the analysis, if we see any little incremental difference. But regardless, uh, the process of, of inquiry and paying attention and learning a little bit more about how to apply simple research techniques on our own farm will, I think, serve us well even if we don't learn whether biochar is really worth using right. in our situation. Right, right. And so I, I guess I guess all in all that means that there's a, a great benefit for you in, in being able to discern, well, yeah, which amendments should I be investing in? Right. Um, are, are, is where I'm putting my dollars, is that actually making a difference? And those are tremendous uh, pieces of information for, for yourself. And it's a way of engaging in a conversation with other farmers who are trying something that's similar in a different location and mm -hmm. under different management or different um, crop systems. Um, we can compare notes and, and build on each other's learning because we have some more um, sort of detailed and articulated comparisons to talk about. It's not about comparing whether we're doing things right and or, or better or worse than someone else, sure. but just that process of learning, bouncing ideas off of each other. So. I think biochar in many contexts has been very successful. So I assume that even if we haven't seen success, that it doesn't mean we should stop. It's just we need to keep learning how to use it more effectively or, or wait patiently for right. the results to show up. Right. Yep. One of, one of the EFAO's farm-related research priorities is, is soil health, or one of the categories that people can uh, uh, connect with is soil health. And so... Um, when the research program started up, uh, one of the, those initial projects was a, uh, a soil health indicator study. And uh, w would you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so this was in 2016, and we um, got funding and had to come up with some trials right away. But luckily, our members are really curious, and they there were a number of them that um, kind of jumped up and said, this was in 2016, there was a lot of talk about the Haney test and some other indicator mm. tests that you'd mail out and, and get um, information about your soil from, from those tests. And so a, a number of members jumped up and said, we, we are really confused. What Are these tests worth it? Mm. And what test is the best for our, in this case, these growers were all organic for our organic ecological farms. Mm-hmm. So one of the trials that we did in 2016 was really assessing rigorously these tests. And so on three farms, we took um, 400 cores total, lots and lots of replicates. Yep. And we compared uh, fence row, so sort of the what's the maximum potential soil health on this farm, to uh, the farmer perceived high productivity. So where does this farmer get good yield? And where does what field does this farmer get lower yield? With this idea, the idea of what indicator would help a farmer transition the bad field to a good field and track that transition. Mm -hmm. So we took all of these soil cores and um, sent them away to to get analyzed for the Haney test, which includes organic matter and dissolved nutrients and pH and um, solvita, soil respiration, lots of good indicators. We also sent the soil to um, the Cornell Soil Health Lab to be analyzed for aggregate stability, so a measure of structure, mm-hmm. and active carbon, a measure of biology. Um, I'll talk more about that in a, in a, in a couple minutes or a couple seconds. Yeah. Um, and with all these replicates, we were able to do a power analysis to see what, um, what, which one of these indicators was sensitive to change, so it was dis- d- distinguishing these different fields on everyone's farm, the reference, the high productivity, low productivity, and what was reproducible And so always telling us that there was a difference in these fields and then consistent so that this that an indicator would say that the reference was always better than the high, which was always better than the low. Right. Right. And so we were able. Yeah, this beautiful data set. And from that, only two indicators out of the, you know, 20 plus that we measured did did this. And active carbon was the single best indicator. It was reproducible, sensitive, and consistent on everyone's farm. Hmm. Organic matter was also um, those three things, reproducible, consistent. It wasn't as sensitive. It was only reproducible and consistent for um, differences of 0.5% organic matter or, or more, which is fine. It's just not super sensitive. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and this was, um, a bit surprising that only two indicators floated to the top. Hmm. Um, but the active carbon, active carbon was really exciting to see. So what this, this is a measure of the amount of labile or easily accessible carbon that that's in the soil that microbes use to power to, to, to process and turn over soil. And so these um, would be soil nutrients. like sugars or? Yep, sugars, root exudates, okay. um, goodies like that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so when there's um, a lot of plant activity, a lot of root activity, then this means there's um, a lot of food for the microbes. The microbes can be processing soil organic matter, storing and stabilizing carbon. Very good things for soil health. And yeah, and so even though these soils all had a good amount of carbon, the active carbon signal was still there and Mm. it was sensitive Mm. and reproducible and reliable. So um, we're just in the final stages of having that paper published and it will be open access um, in the Canadian Journal of Soil Science. So it's really exciting to see farmer-led research um, 
published and to see, yeah, this, these are the questions a farmers wanted answered. It wasn't, a, you know, a really mechanistic question about farming, how to farm, but it was a it was a really important question for how to guide farmers towards greater soil health. Absolutely interested in hearing about any more of these measurements, active carbon, organic matter, respiration, you can go back to our our first episode with Adam Gillespie, and we talk about some of that there. Um, So Sarah, where where are we going with this study now? So the study's done. It's uh, it's just about to be published. Um, What's next? Yeah, this year we have a pilot study. EFAO has launched a pilot soil health benchmark study. So there are 20 25 farms in the Lake Erie Basin and another 11 across the province um, that are that are using active carbon, organic matter, and water infiltration to set a baseline for soil health on their farm. So we're doing three replicates on three fields, nine replicates on everyone's farm, hmm. um, and this is being measured. And then and this will give the farmers sort of a this is where we are now, this is where we're at now. And so at, in three or five years, they can come back to those sites, re-measure, and they have this um, rigorous replicated assessment of soil health. So we did, it was agonizing to choose the indicators (laughs) that we were going to use, but um, along with our paper, there's a lot of other papers in the literature showing that active carbon is reliable, sensitive, and consistent. Okay. So we felt good about this. Organic matter is one of those indicators that has a huge data set that people feel really comfortable with. Yep. So, and then water infiltration is something farmers can do by themselves in the field. And it really, it gives you that, that, um, that moment-to-moment assessment of how well your your soil is um, dealing with water. Right, right. And that water infiltration test is you, you put a ring in the ground and pull a plastic sheet over top, pour some water in. Time it. Time it. See how long it takes. Yeah, and so the, the farmers are just taking their soil samples now, and we'll get the results from that benchmark study hmm. in January. So that's, yeah, it's been a really exciting continuation of that, uh, the original study we did in 2016. And we hope to continue the benchmark study. It's, it, I feel like it's an it's a entry point for farmer-led research, um, but it's, it's really, it really got our membership excited and also just OMAFRA and other organizations. It's, it seems to be a real bridge builder for soil health. Absolutely, yeah, simple, accessible, and, and powerful. Yep, and as Val said, we're not saying who's better than yes. whom. It's just, let's just have a conversation around soil health and how we want to improve or change our practices. Right, right. And all of this farmer-led research gets featured uh, certainly on your website, but then you have an event that comes every December. So you've got a a farmer-led research symposium that's coming up. Uh, That's December 2nd, is that right? Yep, December 2nd in the afternoon in Belleville, and it's open to all. You can register, um, find registration information at efao.ca. And then it's followed by three days of incredible ecological farming um, workshops and keynotes and networking at the EFAO conference. And and this year it's in Belleville. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Val and Brent, both of you are going to be there kind of talking about some of your research? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You can continue to follow stuff from the Ecological Farmers Association of Ontario. And actually, uh, maybe you did this on purpose, maybe not. But on the last day of the conference, it is World Soil Day. Uh, so want to put that on all your radars out there. Uh, Thursday, December 5th is World Soil Day. And we might, we just might be doing something special on, 
on Food Farm Talk that day as well. So thanks for listening. Uh, thank you, Val, Sarah, and Brent for uh, for joining me, and thanks for having us at your farm. That was a pleasure. Yeah.